Dr. Sal Forchina survived against all odds. His story is one of tenacity, strength, and perseverance. He was born in Italy in 1941, which was the time of World War II, and the war, its aftermath, presented locals with few options other than to flee their homes and later, ultimately, their country. But he had a dream, and he never allowed that dream to die, and that dream became a reality. You are going to enjoy hearing Dr. Forcina's story on Never Ever Give Up Hope. Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Dr. Sal Forcina has been a general and vascular surgeon for 40 years, and he also has been trained in trauma surgery. This is going to be a stimulating and motivating interview today. Thank you for joining us, Doctor. Thank you. So let's start at the beginning. I'm very anxious. I, I did read your story, but I want to hear it. I would like you to share your story with the audience. Sure. Thank you for having me. I was born in 1941 in Italy between Rome and Naples. That and this was during World War II. That area was really the boundary because the German Nazi in the north and the ally on the south. And that area was where the no man, man land. In other words, mm-hmm. this, area, this area was um, with mines and people risk their life in a daily basis. And people saw a lot of atrocity. Um, right. When what happened, my family had to, and with the other people, to survive, they had to escape to the mountain. And in the mountain, this was in the winter time, they didn't have, there were no houses, they were just making temporary uh-huh. hot with the straw and they, and, and they had the fire on to warm up because they didn't have a proper cloth, uh-huh. they didn't have proper food. The, the water that they got was melting the snow. So what happened in this overcrowded situation, at that time, there were no DDT, there were no insecticides, and what happened, and they end up 
people having unfortunate lives. And when the women job at that time was they, they have a big cauldron, big container, they melt it, uh, put the snow there and melted the snow and they used to put the cloth inside this container and boil the big cloth uh, to kill the uh, lice. And so what wow. happened was, yes, so what happened was that the, now in winter time, they, they don't have dryer, they were not, not such a thing. So what happened was that the people had to, uh, uh, with the fire, try to dry their the clothes. So they had to, was an daily, um, they had to, in a daily uh, way of thinking to survive, those people to survive. And so my father used to tell me the stories. Since I, and that story got what gave me motivation and was inspired me to become somebody because unfortunately in at that area in that time there was a lot of misery and the family were big a lot of member of the family they were growing up there was no jobs and the people had to survive and help the family. So another way, my mother and my father, like the youth at that time in that area, they have only second or third grade. But my father is not that he didn't want to study. He didn't have the possibility to study. So, but he compensated all his life reading. He, he read all yeah. his life. And he used to talk to me, used to talk to me. I was a child. Uh-huh. And, and so now what happened was, by miracle, they survived the atrocity of the war. But member of his family, his brother, got killed. The brother-in-law got killed. My grandfather disappeared for many months because the Germans, they were looking for the, when the Italian army capitulated, the German, they were looking for those to be t- taken to Germany to work uh, to, because they need labor. And so, so my father uh, stayed around the house to help out. And what happened was that he used to disguise himself as a woman. And they used to be with the sister and my mother and everywhere going in between, in between moving from one place to another. And because they had to go from the top of the mountain, go to the valley to exchange a few things in order to have something to eat because they didn't have it. Right. So now my father used to tell me in one occasion, there was winter time. There was no. They were cold. It was cold. They didn't have. They didn't have uh, proper clothes, proper shoes, and so they were going. And as they were going down to a path, there were a few uh, some uh, German soldier dead. So the people in desperation, 
got their boots on the soldier and their jacket, the jacket, and they put it on. So meantime, while they were doing this and they were going Indian file, going to another uh, place, the Allies plane, they were surveying that area, seeing the, the, those people going with the German uniform, they start to bombard that area. And some, some people got killed at the time. My father grabbed my mother and they went into a, a, a roll down into a, a, a pit, whatever. And by miracle, they survived at that time. It, ma it makes you wonder how many young people would survive today, right? Yes. Well, but you see what happened. People were desperate. Yes, exactly. People were desperate. Yeah. And, and what happened, uh, 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 you know, the only hope that they, they, they keep looking at, uh, they, they were Christian people, and they were looking up, uh, trying to establish a, a, a hope that God will help them. Because mm -hmm. nobody, they didn't have nobody. Right. They were alone. They were, they were such a misery. They were terrible. And they didn't ask for the war. The of average course, person, of course. Just, just the crazy leaders. We can compare in some way what's going on today. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, it's sad. It's sad. Those poor people are suffering, but they, they, not, they didn't ask for that. So anyhow. So there were a lot of uh, things that my father used to tell me, and uh, that is all in the book. This eventually, in 1949, 47, my father, with the factory where he used to work, in, went to Argentina, in South America, to uh, and he have a contract for two years with other people, other workers. And at that time, they, in the area where I was born, Scowry, there were no jobs, there was nothing, everything was destroyed. So my father went to Argentina with the other, another 60 people. And at that time, Argentina was very rich, there was no war there, and there was plenty of food. So two years after, uh, he send a ticket for my mother, me and my brother. My brother was 18 months. I was eight years old at that time. And in 1949, we joined, we joined him. So we went to Argentina and we went to a, a city called Azul. It's in the center of Buenos Aires. And of course, uh, we didn't speak English. Uh, we didn't speak Spanish. And the customs were different. My mother was young, and I remember one of the things that really was remain forever in my mind was my poor mother was alone all the time, hmm. and she was hoping. At that time, we didn't have phone. There was no television. There was no. I we didn't have radio. We didn't have nothing, and we were in the outskirts of the town and the city. There was no asphalt. And the, and the houses, they were primitive houses. And so I was in like a, with the other children play in the street. We used to kick a ball that we improvised, made with a sock. <laughs> and we put clothes inside, yes. And, and we kicked the ball with the dust and this and that. 
and 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 that ball that was in the beginning was round, at the end became like a sausage, it was elongated, and it lost the shape. So that's I funny remember, because I remember my parents telling me, actually they're twenty years older than than what 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 you were, but telling me how they used uh, corn husks to make dolls. For the sure, children, sure, you know, yeah. Sure, so yeah. I, I'm hearing what you're saying. Go ahead. They had to improvise. That's right. So anyhow, and I remember my mother used to say, used to call me. She was anxious to receive a letter from her family in Italy, and those letters never came. And when that letter came, my mother was a different person. Uh, she read and reread the letter like she was looking for uh, something there something that they uh, they give a peace to her soul and i remember many times my mother used to come out and used to ask me if they if i had seen the mailman passing by because i realized eventually she was waiting for that letter that took so long to, to arrive and uh, so those are the thing, uh, small thing that they were so left a, a, a print in my memory. Absolutely, and it made you who you are. It made you yeah. uh, having the tenacity, as we mentioned earlier, and the strength to survive. So now fast forward a bit and tell us about the dream that you had to become a doctor. Well, what happened was that my father, I didn't want to study. I was eight years old. And my father was going crazy because I didn't want to study. So what happened, I'm going to briefly, some priests came to the church there. And and one day I was talking to them, and they were showing pictures of the horse, uh, the kids uh, swimming, and the playing soccer, football, whatever. So I was eight years old, so I tell my father, I want to join that, whatever. Mm. So to make, to make a long story short, this was a, a school in Buenos Aires, and then I was 11 years old. I left my family for the boarding school, and I saw my family once a year. Wow. By December for Christmas, because there's summer, uh, uh, Christmas. And so another factor, the separation anxiety for my pa- for my parents, 11 years old. Uh-huh. I was there for seven years. So, of course, in the beginning, this was very difficult for me because I, I, there was a, in this school, we had to study, constant study and pray, pray. I was no use to that. I was a little wild, eight years old. <laughs> so... But gradually, gradually, I start to understand. And gradually, I start to see things and remembering what my father used to tell me. Because the goal was my father used to tell me you, I didn't, that he didn't have the possibility. But I, he, they will do anything for me to help me out to become somebody. Oh, great. Be, because at that time, my life was like for me being in a inside a hole that looking up and I saw the the light but there was uh, there was no hope nobody 
told me uh-huh. what to do. And, and, and my dreams, they were just dream because realistically, who, who I was I? Who right. was I? Right. I was nobody, you know? And um, so anyhow, so the, it was very dramatic, whatever. So anyhow, gradually, I start to learn and start to study and, uh, and, and I realize and I develop a sense of I want to achieve, I want to be somebody. I want to, I want to be that because I was nobody and my friends, whatever, when I went on vacation back, I didn't have friends or whatever, or they, they mock me or whatever. And so that hurt me. That hurt me. So I want to be, so I, that's why I start to study very hard, study very hard. Yeah. And gradually, gradually, because I became a classic guy, I studied very much history, classic music, literature, this and that. And I still today, still today, something that carried me, I still, I, I motivate me. All this, still right, today, right. at the age, at the age of eighty-two, I still motivated to to learn. to learn. As a matter of fact, right now I'm studying French on my own. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, to you know what? Because I I want to keep my brain active. Absolutely. That's and so the secret. in the same way you, you do exercise for your muscles, I want to do exercise for my brain. So anyhow, so now what happened was I, I went, I, I was with the priest for seven years, but unfortunately, when I left that school, my grade, they were not recognized by the state. It's a long story. I had to take an exam again. I had to repeat certain courses. And uh, so anyhow, eventually, when I finished the bachelor degree uh, and uh, my father said, what are you going to do now? I said, well, all my friends and my friends were the son of the doctor, the a lawyer, uh-huh, the uh-huh. of people that have a, a lot of land. I was the son of the poor immigrant. And I said, uh-huh. I told my father, I said, well, yeah, I, don't, I knew the limitation that they have. And so I say, I would like to go to university to become a doctor. And my father said, well, but imagine. So my father said, my mother said, well, you know, uh, if you want, we're going to try to help you, whatever. And so my father said, with my mother, I heard the conversation. He said, well, listen, even if he go for one year or two years, at least he doesn't succeed. He can say, well, you know what? My, he was, I was in the university for one year. That's right. And so that's, that was the, the goal or whatever. So imagine how poor uh, was our ambition. Uh, the ambition was, I had tremendous ambition, but the hopes. Yes, yes. The hopes were very low. So anyhow, so I went to the university. It was very difficult for me because what happened was we were, renting an old house with many rooms and there were like 12, 15 people there. Wow. And, and, the, and the school over there, 
there were people studying, but there were people that they, because they have money, they, have, they go there to have good time. Right. And then right. Like, so unfortunately for me, it was very, di- was very difficult. So now what happened, all those colleagues, friends or whatever, uh, the, I studied in the University of La Plata in, in Buenos Aires. And uh, Buenos Aires capital was very short distance from there. So my friends, on as the weekend came, Friday afternoon, they used to, you know, they had the money, the facility, whatever. They used to go and spend the weekend in Buenos Aires having a good time. So I was alone in the, in the place. And that was the time when I borrowed their books to study because my parents could not afford for me to, to have books. They were too expensive. And the, time, and the books that they sometimes I borrowed from the library, they were the books that were, uh, when the pages were missing, they were all stained and they scratched, you know. So I had to, you know, but that's, I resigned myself. That's the way it had to be. If you want to be somebody, and the fact, if, if I start to cry, nobody's going to listen to me. It must well, you keep going, keep going, keep going. And that's, that was the way uh, it was. Exactly, yes. So anyhow, eventually, to make a long story short, medicine over there was seven years. Seven years. So when I finished, I went, I went, I went to go to Italy to specialize. But when I went to Italy and I lived there for, I was there for a few months, I saw that that was not for me. So that was the time when in the summertime, uh, there was a, a beach there and I met some distant relative from the United States. They were in the United States and they advised me to come to the United States. So eventually I came to the United States to visit my family and what happened? And I saw, I saw whatever I saw. I saw tremendous opportunity here, and I say, "Wow, that's the place I want to be." But what happened? First of all, I didn't speak English. Second, my degree was not recognized in this country. Oh, really? So, so I had so I had to borrow money from my family. I had to. Uh, pay for the university. I went to New York University to study English. And now I was 28 years old and I haven't seen what multiple choice, I never saw multiple choices exam in my life. And the reason it was completely different. I studied with, with different books, different way of uh, the exam was all. Uh, so this was tr- very difficult for me now. In order for me to become a doctor in this country, I had to pass an exam. And when you pass that exam, you succeed. You cannot practice. You ha- that allows you to specialize. And I had to, sp- after I passed the exam, I had to spend five years of training in program. And that's when I, be- I got my specialization in surgery. I did general surgery, peripheral vascular, and trauma. And the last 20 years, 15, 20 years, I took special courses doing advanced laparoscopy. In other words, doing surgery with a video on one side 
and through a small hole do the surgery inside the belly. I was very good at wow. that. Wow. Uh, and, uh, and I was very proud. And, and, and to, to give you just an idea, in spite of my accent, I became a chief of surgery in two hospitals. <laughs> in, the, in Bergen County, in New Jersey. Bergen County, just 10 miles from Columbia University. So, but what happened was when I finished my training and I started private practice, nobody knew me. So what happened, I used to be around the hospital, stay all day around the hospital, talking about depression. I have a family. I have a wife at that time. And uh, I had no income. I didn't have any income. So one day, the chief of surgery at the hospital, Holy Name Hospital in Teaneck, New Jersey, one day he needed an assistant. And the nurses, <laughs> the nurses, look at this, the destiny. The nurses saw me and they said, well, Dr. Forcina is a young, uh, uh, young doctor. Uh, maybe he can help you. So anyway, I went to assist him and I guess he got, was impressed that he started to call me uh-huh. all the time. Really? And, and eventually, when he went on vacation, he left over him. And I can tell you one episode, just to give you some idea. One day that he was on vacation, my office was notified to see a patient in the surgical floor. I went to see this patient. And I introduced myself. And I, as a human being, I felt rather way that there was a big distance or a barrier between this patient and me. So anyhow, I introduced myself. I examined him. I'm happy he was very sick. He had very infected gallbladder. And I uh, told him, I, I said, well, listen, this should be addressed because you have a... a pus and you got bladder hmm. and the pus can go into the circulation, you can become a, a septic shock and they affect your heart, your kidneys and the brain and, and you can die. So he said, well, let me talk to my family. And so, and I was worried about him. So early, the following morning, the first thing I did before I went to the operating room, I went to see him. And I said, I was, as I walk in, he said, good morning, Dr. Fortuna. This is my wife. This is my family. This is it. To me, it was a shock because I said, oh, what happened? Yesterday, he, had, uh, uh, he was different than today. So I went to, he said, okay, Dr. Fortuna, when are we going to do the surgery? I said, well, let me arrange it. Let me call the operating room. So I went to the, her uh, nurse station, <clears throat> and I spoke with her nurse. I said, what happened? Oh, Dr. Fortuna, you know, since you left yesterday, he was asking everybody about you. And of course, <laughs> I, I have a, a very good reputation. I was responsible. I was uh, around all the time. And when the nurse called me uh, middle of the night, if I had to go back to the hospital, I went back to the hospital. Because, uh, so the nurses gave me a very good report. So I did the surgery, he did well. But those at the beginning, there was all the time something 
nothing came easy for me. <laughs> but because I guess through my life, I got so many, I was wounded so many times. I had so many scars that those scars made me strong. Absolutely, yes. And I, and I never gave up. That's right. Because my life, my life was like a going through a tunnel, a dark tunnel that this, I saw a dim light at the end. And I was going through the tunnel hoping to find the right way, the right path. But when I arrived to the, and I saw the light, uh, the cross, there was a label there, a sign there that say dead end. And what I had to do, I had to go back and start all over again. And that had been my life. But I never gave up. That's right. Thank, th thank God I was lucky in some way that my parents, they were good, warm, simple people that they gave me all the time the desire to succeed. And that is a wonderful, wonderful story of perseverance and tenacity and never, ever giving up. And I really appreciate you sharing Thank that you. story in detail. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick, just a few second break. And when we come back, I would like you to tell the audience about your book. So sure. we'll, we'll be right back. Carol Graham would like to show you the path from misery to miraculous triumph in her fast-paced memoir, Battered Hope. She relates her determination to succeed as someone who experienced one horrendous nightmare after another. Gang raped and left for dead, loss of a child, husband falsely imprisoned, and cancer. Nothing could break her tenacity or faith. No matter what you face, heartache, loss, suffering, or injustice, Carol will illustrate how she became a victor the same way you can. The secret is to never ever give up hope. Order your copy at Amazon or batteredhope.blogspot.com. We are listening to Dr. Self or China today sharing his story that I know many of you in the audience are relating to, whether yourselves or your parents who went through situations during wartime such as this. And I really appreciate many of these short stories and the whole big picture that the doctor is sharing today because it shows a picture of strength and tenacity and never giving up. So in conclusion, we want to talk about what motivated you to write your book and a little bit about it. And it's called The American Doctor. What happened was that they, when we were young with my wife and we just started the private practice of medicine, more than one occasion, we were invited to some people's houses, some uh, uh, parties, and everybody, many times, people ask me about my life, how happened, they noticed I have an accent, and how it uh, came about, I came to the United States, and so on and so on. And so, and I told in different story, like I just mentioned before about my family. And, and so many people, they considered that there was a tremendous achievement for me to have been able to, 
to achieve all that with the, uh, without any means. And more than one occasion, one person told me, that Fortuna, you should write a book about this. <laughs> and of course, of course, for me at that time, I was, I have other, other uh, um, more urgent uh, situation was survive and, uh, than to write a book. So anyhow, so what happened was uh, I have a daughter, Vanessa, and when she, um, she got married, she got a daughter, Lennon. She's eight years old now. And what happened when I retire and I have more time, I, and many, I start to, in more than one occasion, I start to remember my parents, my youth. And, and so, and one day I start to write a few things and I send that to my daughter. And she say, Daddy, that's beautiful. <laughs> that's beautiful. And I can, and gradually it took time Gradually, I start to write and write and write and write, and so what happened was that the 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 main reason why I want to write the book is to leave a memory of to my granddaughter, right? Because I she lived in a beautiful country with all she had different life than mine, but as she became a teenager. She's going to go through different right. stage of their life, and it's more than one occasion. Maybe, maybe, I hope not. Maybe it's going to be in different different mood, sad, depressed, or whatever. I want for her at that time. Perhaps she pick it up this book and read in middle of the night a chapter because every chapter there is something there to learn about life. That's absolutely beautiful. What an incredible motivation. And now who who should buy your book? The book is uh, everybody. It has different stages. There is the classic, there is the, com- the common thing that for the average person. It's a very human. It's a human okay. that's going to touch is going to touch right. the heart of many right. people. Right. Excellent. Yes, and that's what happened as you were sharing your story this morning. It, you know, I was relating to parts of it as I mentioned, and yes. and just you know, it's coming from your heart and and uh, your strength, of course, is, has come through in your story, and also your determination. Which, if you have a dream and you never get up, give up you will see yeah. the fulfillment of that dream just as you did. Yes. And now yeah. you want that dream to be passed to your grandchildren and all future yeah. generations. So, well, I thank you so much, doctor, for oh, being on thank Never you. Ever thank Give you. Up Hope. And this is a story to, that many of us will relate to. And I so appreciate you sharing it with the audience today. Thank you. Uh, can I add something? Absolutely. My desire, my my big desire is that this book, if I just can change the life of somebody that is down and doesn't have any uh, hope, if I can change just one life, I am the lucky man in this earth. That's right. 
the word of encouragement is something that every person needs to hear. And so we thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.